Hey everybody, it's Richard Harris with my partner in crime, Scott Lease. Welcome to the Surf and Sales podcast, video cast, wherever you are catching us, we appreciate it. Uh, we are joined today by a really, really good friend of Scott's and um, a, a new friend to me, Randy Sparks. Randy's over at Qualia. Um, he was the one who um, got Scott fired. So that <laughs> job. Um, no, that's not true. That's not true. Um, that's just how I like to pick on Scott because he knows it. And uh, no, he is at Qualia. Randy is at Qualia. And I'll let, I'll let Scott sort of take it over from here since, since he and Randy have a nice dialogue going on. Yeah, you know, um, Randy and I have known each other for a number of years now since I moved to Austin. Uh, you know, we met through our kids' sports activities and baseball in particular. We coach a select baseball team together. The kids play basketball together and everything. Um, you know, so we've developed a really good, good friendship and, you know, I kind of helped pull him away a little bit from a different opportunity. He was working here in Austin and bring him into Qualia. Um, and it's, it's, it's a really good opportunity for our listeners here because this is the first time on the podcast now that we have a customer success grandmaster, right? Somebody who has transitioned in, in his career from, you know, top of funnel hunter sales role to building post revenue teams, scaling customer success teams and turning that customer success team into a powerful revenue generating machine. And so I'm excited to get into that stuff, uh, you know, today, today with you, Randy. So let's, let's go back to the beginning, uh, you know, tell, tell the audience and, and, and Richard, you know, how did you get into sales? Were you, were you born a salesperson? Did this just slowly come about out of nowhere? How did, how did it begin for you? Uh, yeah, well, first of all, thank you for having me, guys. I appreciate it. Um, yeah, let me, let me, I guess starting at the beginning when I, I went to the University of Texas, I had a marketing degree. Um, I waited tables all throughout college. I waited tables even when I had my first real job. Um, so sales, I think, came naturally to me. Uh, it wasn't something I certainly grew up thinking I want to be a salesman the rest of my life. Uh, I didn't get a degree in sales, but uh, it's something, again, that came naturally to Wait, me. Wait, you got a degree in sales? No, well, you know. didn't. He got a degree in marketing. <laughs> All right. Degree in marketing. Like, so, I've never heard of that, so I'm, I'm just asking. <laughs> Maybe it's a new thing for you to lead. <laughs> so, uh, out of college, there, it was the, uh, about 97. It was the first dot-com wave. Uh, my first sales job was going door-to-door business to businesses selling websites, this new thing called the internet. Mm. Uh, and it was, a, it was an interesting foray into sales. It was- The design of websites or like literally the, the URL? The design of websites for local businesses to okay. promote their business. Okay. We were up against the yellow pages. Mm. Uh, we were up against radio, we were up against newsprint. Uh, and it was certainly a, a challenging sale from the get-go for most people considering they weren't quite sure what this internet thing was. Thing was yeah. Right. Uh, so that was a challenge, but it was also very rewarding to, to be able to uh, talk about something that can be very complicated and to make it very, very specific to their business and how it can help them. Uh, a light bulb went off about six months into that job where I realized how to sell. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we're selling against newspaper radio, which is interruption marketing, right? I read a book called Permission Marketing. I don't remember the the, the author at this time, but it, it forced the light bulb to go off. If you're going to interrupt somebody's day with advertising, they're not going to pay as much attention to it. If they give you permission, they're going to pay a lot of attention to it. 
So internet advertising is the, the premier way for that to, have, to happen. Uh, if you want to find an Italian restaurant in your neighborhood, we gave you the results. That sounds pretty obvious today, the way Google works and the way local search works. That wasn't the case in 1997. So that moment when I figured that out, that's when my sales career started to really take off. Mm. Yeah. I actually sold in, newspaper, to new, in newspapers in 1997, so I know exactly what you're talking about because nobody knew how to figure this out. Yeah, it was uh, fun uh, beating up the newspaper guys. <laughs> so you go, you go from there, and this was in Austin when you were... This is, yes. Yeah, so you, you go from there. How did you get into, you know, software sales? Right, so uh, I was at CitySearch for four to five years. Can you remember CitySearch, Richard? I totally remember. Do you, Scott? Uh, barely. <laughs> barely. Yeah. It's an amazing time. <laughs> I mean, that wasn't that, that was like your old Main Street hub, so to speak. No, that predates Main Street hub. Right? I know it predates it, but I mean, that was sort of the first four-way into that. Well, you could say that Main Street hub helped put City Search out of or, relevance. Or it enabled Main Street hub to exist. I would rather yeah, that's position better that frame, Better frame, yes. Mm-hmm. Definitely a degree in marketing. So I uh, was there for four or five years and, and, and progressed through uh, the sales ranks there, became a sales manager. Um, just kind of fast forward a little bit. Uh, I started to work at HomeAway here in Austin as well. I was there for six years in the early days um, and helped build their B2B sales function. Um, and So that was not quite software. That's a marketplace, yeah. right? Huge, huge Austin success story, by the way. Yeah. Right. And that was a, a, obviously a very interesting journey. Uh, and again, uh, building out the, the, the sales acumen, building out uh, the sales management acumen and building a team and scaling that team. I transitioned from HomeAway um, after, as mentioned, six years into Box. Uh, Box is a, a, is a file sync and share. Um, yeah, but, but, like, but stop reading your LinkedIn profile to me. Don't do that <laughs> shit. Like, like, they're like, oh my God, this guy's... No, so, but, but what made you realize you liked sales? Where was that? Um, that transition in your mind of like, oh my God, I really like this. And, and it may, maybe it's what you said earlier where you transitioned of figuring it out at the, at the doc, the first dot com. But yeah, I, I, that's when I, yeah, I think that's when it crystallized it to, I mean, if you, if you want to think about growing up, you know, when you think about, as I mentioned waiting tables and, and delivering a service, that's valuable to somebody and seeing somebody get joy out of that. Uh, transition that to the to the working world and, and helping a business grow and to see um, that you played a part in that in some way shape or form um, to me that's that I got a lot of uh, a lot of joy out of that uh, it may sound a little bit hokey but I, that's truly what was driving me um, did you, go ahead. Did you know were you were you an athlete growing up in the college and all that stuff or were you not that guy were you more the introvert than the extrovert no, I played every sport growing up. I uh, was in a fraternity in college, so highly social, uh, probably to a fault. <laughs> Randy is extremely extroverted. Yeah. Okay. Versus me, at least, compared right. to me. Yeah. That's your persona, Scott, that you're introverted. Oh, for God's sake. That's <laughs> really <laughs> So, um, all right, well, so, so, that's, so that's where it's coming from. And it's interesting because you haven't said what a lot of salespeople say when we talk to them about it is like, well, I realized I can make a lot of money on it, mm -hmm. right? Like you're given that answer of like, well, I really enjoyed the service side of it. I enjoyed making someone happier or more successful, um, which obviously is a, is a big piece of customer success, right? Um, By the time you got to Box, though, weren't you, weren't you on the CS side of the 
house. That actually, what, that no. was the first role. That was the first time. NCS, right. Um, but it was the, it was an interesting role because it wasn't pure CS, meaning it wasn't uh, simply being a strategic advisor to your customers and help maximizing their return on investment, blah, blah, blah. It was a high growth uh, CSM function. We were testing out a model where uh, we were tasked with surfacing new opportunities and helping drive revenue. We would surface those opportunities back to the AEs, but it was that first, it, w- it was the first opportunity at Fox at least to, to blend sales and CS together in one function. That's interesting. Was that under, was that under Doug Landis? Doug was, Doug was the, the sales ops leader there. This was more on the CS side. But Doug was there when I started. Yes, Doug's a, a any, like, any good Doug stories? We could we can segue. You know, we're, uh, he wears a lot of scarves. <laughs> he's, the, he's the best dressed. Love you, Doug. <laughs> his, his ducks just beat my Wildcats last night in overtime in basketball. It was very. I was texting him about it. So what, what? What's? Let's transition here a little bit. Like, you you you've sold the initial. You've done the initial sale, right? And now you, you've spent a lot of time, especially over the last five, six years, I guess it is, selling post-initial sale revenue, right. CS revenue, right? Talk, talk to everybody about the differences in the, the approach, the style of selling in order to capture that revenue, as well as the, the profile of the individual, right? And, and, and the differences there. Right. So, and let me, let me take one step back because I, I may not have said it explicitly, Richard, but I like to make money. So I want to make sure that that is clear. Okay. <laughs> and, that, and, and that's good. Like I'm, I'm not criticizing it. I just thought it was, it, when you talk to a lot of salespeople, it's natural to say, well, you know, I like to make money or I knew I could set my own destiny or I could, you know, right. all those things. Now, and you're, you're, that was not your initial response, which is great. Like I like it. It's refreshing right. to hear someone say, I really just want to help someone. Right. And, uh, it's just nice. So it was not a criticism if it came across that. I know. I was just, I was just messing around. It, it's, I look at it as it's the outcome of doing good things for your customers is right. making more money. So that's how I look at it. Uh, to answer your question, Scott, around, um, you know, that, that the initial sale to a prospect versus selling to a customer, right? That was the basis of your question. Uh, and the personas of people that you're dealing with. Uh, I mean, it's a completely different mentality. Again, I've been on both sides, so I can speak to this. Um, you're, you're hungrier uh, for a net new sale. Um, you, you're diff- you have different motivations. You're not concerned about generalizing here. You're not concerned about the lifetime value of that customer um, truly delivering um, all the, the promises that you've made. It's about getting that sale, right? When you are a CS professional that is tasked with developing additional use cases or selling um, into that customer base, um, you also have the responsibility to make sure that they are happy, that they are uh, receiving the value that they've expected. Uh, but you're also tasked with growing that business. And the way that I have, I can frame this is, uh, I shifted the way that I thought about selling net new to existing businesses. I'm not selling you. I am trying to grow your business and I have some insights because I've partnered with you about where you're headed and I have some ideas on how I can help you get there. Now, that's, that, those are all words and you can kind of frame that in a net new sale as well. But that's truly how I approach it. And, and, and yeah. Are the types of people that you're hiring now for, for these roles at Qualia different than the types of people that you were hiring at Box and at the subsequent places thereafter? Uh, it, absolutely, it is different, but it's also a slightly different function. Uh, at Box, the role has kind of evolved. The role has absolutely yeah. evolved. At Box, it was a, you know, I, I say pure traditional CSM 
function, you know, CSM or customer success is really what a 10 year old discipline um, in terms of by the name. Uh, the CSMs at Box were, they weren't, they weren't targeted uh, with, with revenue growth. It was use case development, uh, i.e. just strategically guiding your customers and making sure that they're happy. The role that I came to lead was a blend of selling as well. Right? Did, did, did you have a quota? Did your, did your team have a, like a dollar revenue quota? Um, it, it semantically wasn't called a quota, but ah, right. Yes. yes. Um, we still had to tiptoe around it. wants to know what was it called? Uh, uh, it was a contribution to the, uh, revenue, contribution. revenue contribution. Revenue contribution. Yeah. I remember that phrase. Actually, I, I called it not being a cost. Center. So I, I have a question, right? I, I have this theory that so many times customer success people are often better at sales than even real salespeople. Right. And it's because they listen a lot. They, they really say, hey, wait a minute, Scott's, Scott's going to, I'm going to make him throw No, I'm, I just said that's going to be controversial. Yeah. Right. Um, and, and, and again, this is anecdotally is that they're very good. Customer success are sort of wired in their role to say, hey, tell me what's going on. Now, now what are we trying to accomplish here? Which once you know that, you can start digging even deeper, which is great qualification and discovery skills, right? Like, and, and so often sales customer success are like, I don't want to be a salesperson because they think it's a dirty word. But then when you talk to them and you teach them all these things, you know, particularly for me, I'm a, I'm a tr as a trainer and a tactician um, explainer, for lack of a better phrase, um, they kind of realize they actually are doing sales. Do you see that as well? Do you see them being very strong um, compared to Scott's sales team? You know? <laughs> oh, wow. You, you, were, really you were setting a trap for me. Really trying, he's really trying to pick a fight. I will say it this way. Um, it's a, it absolutely is a different approach and it is it a different, it is a different type of person that can succeed as a net new hunter versus a CS revenue person. But let me ask you, if you took your best CS person mm -hmm. and you just said, Hey, just take the first call discovery. Don't do cold calling. Don't do prospecting. Don't do email. Do you think they could, do you think they could do kill a it. job? He'd kill it. He'd kill it. You hear me, yeah. Scott? You hear him? Say a little louder, because Scott's sitting next to you. I don't know if you yeah, he, he doesn't have to say it, because I tried to take that person. <laughs> <laughs> I, I tried to take that person in a very yeah. above the board way. I, I think, that, that, in all seriousness, in, as it relates to the discovery process, um, absolutely it's, it is a strength to um, have the mentality that a CS revenue person does. Right. In terms of the grind of, of prospecting into a territory and, and uh, pipeline management that d down that path, that, that's where I, I kind of derivate a little bit in terms of the skill sets that are required. But in terms of the discovery phase, if you, if you're solely looking at that, absolutely. It's a strong suit of a, of a CS. What are, what are three things? And I'm trying to do this so that we can give the listeners, um, you know, things that they look for in a quality CS person, right? You guys are a, a, a well-established company. You're not early stage. You're definitely at, at that high growth stage, right? You're out of early growth. Right. Is your how big is the CS team right now? Well, it's it's broken out into different functions, but over the whole thing overall is I want to say seventy five, give or take, and that's inclusive of some some support folks, um, some onboarding folks, escalation reps, uh, enterprise account managers, which are basically customer success managers, and then the CS revenue side. So as you, as you think about, let's talk about growing the revenue because that's where the strength of this is and where Scott started this. What are the things you're looking for in a CS rep to help grow the revenue? They are going to do you know, cross-sell and upsell. 
you know, what are those things that you're looking for in a rep? And then let's even talk about, well, what you're looking for in the person who just nurtures the account, right? Um, or if they're the same. Right. Um, it, it, at Qualia, they are different. We, we can cross that bridge in a second. Um, in terms of what, what you look for, and again, it, you have to have had some sales experience. You, if I was hiring a CSM at Box, you didn't need sales experience. That was not the role. Now you do. Now you do. Um, it, that's, you know, again, my perspective. I think, I think that's true for the industry now. Right. Right. Um, you, you, you know, an account management uh, role previously. Uh, now, again, it's called different things at different companies, but looking after, looking after customers, not from a reactive standpoint, but from a strategic proactive standpoint, that absolutely has to be on the resume um, of being a, 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 you know, demonstrated some strategic ability there. Um, so selling, um, you know, a proactive strategic uh, partner. Um, and you are balancing many hats. You, you are handling customers that are angry, um, much like a, uh, let's say, a, a customer service person would in the past, answering the phone and just and not knowing exactly what you're going to get. Um, that's not their primary function, but you have to be able to navigate those waters um, or you won't be a customer success person, right? right. You're, 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 um, you're punt, punting them to somebody else. You've got to own that. So you got to have a, it's, it's a well-rounded role in, in my opinion. Yeah. Scott, let me, let me ask you this as you see it, cause you're on the sales side of it. What do you see are the differences in a sales rep and a customer success rep as you look at skills, if you were hiring for either or both, aside from the fact that you played little league, you coach little league together because I know that was step one. Uh, well, you asked me that question today and, and it's starting to be not as dissimilar in my opinion. I, I I've said this before. I've got been on the record saying that the function of sales and the role of sales is, is moving away from this pure hunter kind of closer, you know, mentality and skill set to more of a, selling approach, an account management approach, a customer success approach, a marketing approach, right? And so what are you looking for in somebody? Like if, for the people who are listening, like you're trying to find those people, what are the kind of, what kind of skill sets are you looking for aside from experience in your mind? In a CS role? Yeah. Or, and yeah. And how does that differ from a sales role? <clears throat> are you hiring? Um, I, I, I think I still think, I still think the CS person tends to be a little bit more nurturing a little bit more relationship oriented uh, and focused. Uh, I think that they are more patient. Uh, that's just my, my take. I think they're more, yeah. they're more patient and or they need a little bit more patient. Um, I think that they do a little bit better job coming up with creative problem solving solutions. So, you know, I've, I'm not the smartest person in, in the world. Randy's a smarter person than me. He's on that side of the house. 100%. I don't know if I could, if I could, you know, do all the things in, in my career the way that, that he's done them, uh, you know? And so I, I tend to think that in the, in that CS revenue function, like highly intelligent, you know, analytical, creative solutions, putting different deal packages together, saving something and then flipping it around all of these things. Um, just, just really, really thoughtful, intelligent, creative kind of uh, person. But I think the front end sales hunter now has to be more and more like that person that I just talked about. And I didn't think, it, I don't think it had to be that way even five years ago, certainly not 10 years ago and absolutely not 15, 20 years ago. Right, 
Right. Well, I, I knew you 15 or 20 years ago. So one thing I, I, I've thought about that I think is relevant is if you think about a, a you know, your traditional old school account management type of role um, where you're not really asked to, uh, you are asked to grow the business to a certain extent, but you're really just reactive to what the customer is needing from you. you yeah, place, that's a big change. You yeah. place orders for them, let's say, right? Um, and, and that's that absolutely can't be the case anymore with a SaaS yeah. model. You, you've got yeah. you've got customers that are brought in and land and expand model. It is up to the customer success manager to grow that business, develop additional use cases. Yeah, that the whole department has changed from customer service right. to customer success, and customer success is now arguably where most of the revenue growth, the land and expand stuff is coming from. Certainly, is, certainly at, at, at Qualia, like. Or influenced, um, yeah. it's absolutely 100% the case. Yeah. So, so Randy, what are, um, what are some, some, you know, you've got a huge team, right? Like 75 people is not small. Yeah, that's not my entire team, but okay. that's, that's, that's the entire CS org, right? Yeah, but what mistakes either, you know, not, you know, you can leave names out, you don't have to say it's Qualia, <laughs> but what mistakes could you, say, wow, I didn't realize this was going to be a problem when I went from, you know, this size of a CS team to this size or. Yeah, here's a better way to phrase that, Richard. What, what are the mistakes that he made in the, in the past in growing and scaling a team that he's learned from and not applying to his current role? Not making the same mistake in his current role. Right. Uh, I, I think the, the number one thing that sticks out to me is, is the, the expectations for making money and having a target assigned to them. So what I mean by that is at Box, like as mentioned, we, we, it wasn't a quota, like I said, but it was a growth expectation. And these weren't folks that were brought in from the outside that had a sales background. They were customer success managers who were very, very good at their jobs at Box, who we asked to then also take on more of a revenue component. And that was a culture shock to them in, in some ways, right? Um, not understanding the, the dynamics of a, of a pipeline and how, you know, you've got, to, you've got to foster that pipeline and then it will hit at another time. It was more, I'm expected to grow this and I'm panicking because I don't know how to do all of these things. So the, the lesson learned in that is how you would hire somebody now that does have that sales experience and tie that back together to a previous comment. That's absolutely a lesson learned. So changing gears, we, we you know, as I mentioned at the beginning of the show, you know, we coach together and you, you have three boys and you've coached all of them. Now, I asked this question to, uh, to our friend Brandon the, the other day, like what are, what are a couple of the lessons that you've learned, you know, in coaching baseball and, and football that, that you've been able to apply to leading and coaching your, your, your team? <laughs> so many. Uh, I guess the one that stands out is setting the right expectations. When you're dealing with five-year-olds, four-year-olds, all the way up to the age of our older boys. Um, you have to set the right expectations for them um, and, and help guide them through those expectations. Uh, the same thing is true of, of, a, of a team that is made up of adults. Um, you have to be crystal clear with what is expected of them, from a, whether it be activity levels, whether it be um, you know, the, the, the revenue that needs to be generated, what have you. I think that, that in either case, um, you know, maybe the way to think about that is treat the older adult people like your children <laughs> or like you would children. And I don't mean that in a disrespectful way. I mean that in a, it, it works on 
growing young minds. So why not apply it to yeah. an adult? I, 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 I kind of phrase that as, as like, we need to just be really clear and simple with our explanation yes like so, make 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 the expectation so simple your 10 year old can understand it yeah, yeah so this is this is what you're talking about. <laughs> yeah, but I'm Scott, your 10 year olds yeah uh, uh, a quick little uh, I'm, trying, I'm trying to explain the scientific method to my son about for a science project and i'm over explaining the hell out of it my wife is like what are you doing anyway that's well, you can't, well, i'm gonna i'm gonna teach you what you're doing i'm gonna teach you the the what, what you're talking about, and I teach this in, in sales training, is that you're talking about the parent ego state, right? The parent ego state is the one that passes judgment. And you have two ways that you can respond as a parent. One is critical, right? As a critical parent, don't do this, do this, don't do that. And then you have a nurturing way, right? Which is, hey, if we try it this way, what do you think will happen? Or, hey, if here, I want to break this down for you so I, you understand exactly what I'm expecting of you. That's a nurturing parent versus a critical parent. And that's, that's what you're talking about, which I completely agree. What, what happens is that you, if you are critical, you will bring out the rebellious child. Right, Scott? So, yes. <laughs> and if you're nurturing, you'll bring out more of the natural child, the one who just sort of the kid who likes to walk down the street and jump in a, in a, in a mud puddle for no reason other than it's just there. Right? right. So it's the same approach. So I think an extension of that is when there's a real concern expressed by our kids or in practice, let's say you have to listen. You, have, you yep. can't, you, you can't, I think where you were going with that is assume what they mean and tell them the answer. No, you have to listen it. And it's the same thing with, with folks that work for you. If they have a concern, you have to listen, you have to look them in the eye. You got to repeat what they're saying. I, I fully understand what you're trying to communicate to me. Um, it's a lot like marriage. And I, again, I'll say, right, Scott, you have to stop and listen. Speak, speaking of communication, mm -hmm. <laughs> I don't think it's any secret that there is often miscommunication between a customer success department and a sales department yes. and often conflict, right. right? What are some of the, what are, first of all, what are some of the things that sales leaders can do from, from your perspective on the CSI, what are some of the things that sales leaders do, can do to, to smooth that relationship, make that relationship better, stronger, tighter, right? right? Avoid some of that conflict. Right. Um, man, uh, what's in it for me? And, and play the angle of what's in it for me. That's what a salesperson wants to know and understand. How is my engagement with another person at the company gonna help get this deal across the line. And I don't mean that from a purely monetarily and selfish perspective, but that's typically how a salesperson's mind works. I don't want to engage with somebody else that's going to cause friction in a deal. If I can help communicate to the sales leader um, what the value add of bringing in, let's say, a customer success uh, uh, rep to help get a deal across the line. Because once the deal's sold, it's going to be shepherded over to the CS, to the CS rep, right? And what better way than to make that customer feel uh, a smooth transition than to be introduced? So what, so what are the, some of the things that you do to instill confidence in the sales leader that you're, you're coupled with or right. even the salespeople that when, when that deal, when, when, when they do bring you or your team into the deal, that you're not going to screw it up? Because I think, I think that's what a lot of salespeople think, right. if, I, if I'm being honest, which, right? Which is I, I think salespeople are hesitant to even bring their sales manager in sometimes, right? It's like, 
I, this is my thing. Mm-hmm. I control it, right? The more people I bring in sometimes, the, I lose control, right? right? And so what are some of the things that, that, that you can do and, and speak to that um, customer success folks and customer success leaders can do to establish that trust and that level of comfort so salespeople and sales leaders are more willing to bring right. you into these things? I, I think one way to do it is to get very focused on what the deliverable from this, the CSM to the process is, right? Make it small, make it impactful, uh, make it something that is a, a quick entry into the, the, the sales process and then an exit out of the sales process. Because I'm, I'm hearing what you're saying and I agree with you completely. A salesperson does not want any friction in the deal. Yeah. So it's got to be small and it's got to be impactful. So I would pick something uh, very specific, like a subject matter expertise um, approach, right? If the CSM is really good at one thing, what is that one thing? And how can I help that sales rep get this deal across the line and focus on a small, impactful thing? Yeah. What, about, what about with product? What kind of tips can you give people? What are your top two or three tips from a CS side of things to engage properly with the product team? Right. Right. If, let's say we all know this is never the case with any product. The product always is perfect and the product is always right. Mm-hmm. Right where it needs to be, but what are some of the and things it gets that released you, on time? It gets released on time. Yeah. What are some of the things that? What are some of the things you do with the product team to communicate? Like, hey, but you know, yep. you need this in order to support this deal better, or to upsell this deal. Right. Or whatever. Yeah. Um, the, again, the first thing that, that comes to mind is it's it's got to be a, a a defensible complaint that you're making. And by, by making, you're, you're advocating for your customer who's articulated that they're having an issue with the product. Um, and I'm just gonna use this example. Um, you can't, as the CSM, just start complaining and saying, this is, this is why we're losing this deal and start blank, pointing blame. It's gotta be well-documented. It's gotta, it's gotta show the business impact by the lack of this functionality or, the, or the, the, whatever's wrong with the product and how it is impacting revenue for the company. You've got to tie it back to the ROI. Yes, it can't just because this why this is human nature. When some, and especially if you're a CSM and you're advocating for your customer, and you truly are an advocate, you're going to want to voice their concerns. You've got to temper how you voice those concerns, and it has to be backed up with facts, and it has to be backed up with how it impacts. Um, and what again, kind of what's in it for the product person because they don't want to put out a product that's not working, but you've got to play into that a little bit. So that would be my guidance. They also don't want to feel like they're building things that might not get used. Right or not, not essential. They don't want to build things that they think might only be for one customer or two customers. Right? You have to be selective in you know how you decide what you want to advocate so for. How do, how do you how do you prioritize that? Is it is it all just through the math and and the well, you can as an analysis you can in, as an individual CSM because you're concerned about primarily you're concerned about your customer for you in your world. right. You you've got to be what's the most impact to the business. You've got to have a long range view of things. You can't. Be short-sighted. You can't be knee-jerk reactive to it. Uh, but how is it going to impact the business? How is it going to further your business going forward? Uh, and prioritize those things. And go through a, a very vigorous exercise before you surface what should be uh, prioritized. There's a, you know, there's so many, to me at least, there's, there's a whole market and so many people who do what Richard and I do, right? Sales consulting, advisory work, training, what have you, whole industry. Where is that industry for customer success? Does it exist and, and I'm just ignorant of it? I'll ask this question to you as well, Richard, but you know, 
I don't know, I certainly don't know very many people who focus on that side of the house, right? Right. Like who's the, who's the authority? Does that industry exist? If, if not, why not? Right. And is it coming in your, in your opinion? I will, I think the reason why it hasn't happened to date is because customer success has, has been a cost center traditionally. And if I'm a company that is trying to hire a consultant to come talk to my company and it's already a cost center, I'm going to spend more money on this cost center. I'm doubling down on the cost. I, I, I would disagree. Um, Cause I actually have taken all my training and morphed it into a customer success training specific for, sales or and up for upselling and cross-selling and i've taken certain niches of it and changed some things because you can't sort of you know scott you know you can't pull the walk away uh, oh maybe this isn't the right fit for you like you can't do it quite like that in customer success you have to massage it a little bit more into into sort of you know maybe this is the right thing i'm not sure you tell me I think you need to start doing this. You know, it, it, it's, it's a little bit more finesse, right? I think Scott, you even said it earlier. It's, it, there's just, there, there's a different smartness to it that applies. So I think it exists. I actually thought about pivoting my training to just focus on that a couple of years ago. Um, and I think that, you know, I, I, I'm sure someone's going to come along and do it. I'm going to be like, shit, another idea I had. <laughs> um, so I think it exists. I think, there are two things that I see. One is that customer success teams often aren't as big, particularly in the startup world that I'm in, right? You know, there may be three or four or five people. So the cost is different when the, than when they have, cost justification is different than when they have 20 sales reps and I come in and, and do it, right? It's easier to spread that out. Um, I also think people don't know that it, don't know to look for it. Um, I see people ask about it and comment on it. And there are a couple of organizations out there but I think Scott, to a certain extent, you and I may not swim in the pond enough. Oh, I, I don't think I swim in it at all. I'm just, I'm almost unaware that the pond exists. It, I mean, you got to think about, you know, you got to think about Gainsight, right? And, the, and those folks. That's a, that's a company though. That's right. not, that's not a consultant, right? Like Nick's not. No, but, that, but that's where the ecosystem is. That's where the ecosystem is. And if you talk to more people, from Gainsight or in the customer success or went to the shows, you'd see that it exists. Be right. I, would, I would love to have one of the, if you're out there listening and you are in that ecosystem and you do what Richard does for customer success, please reach out to me or Randy or Richard. I, I want to, maybe not Randy. I want to have, <laughs> or Richard. I want to have a conversation. With that yeah, yeah, no, we, there's a couple people I know we could reach out to. There was a guy, there was a guy named Lincoln Murphy, um, who was really sort of advocating customer success at an early stage many, many years ago. Um, and, and eventually went to work for Gainsight and, and then he decided to follow his passions and, and uh, started focusing on becoming a professional wrestler. Um, and I've seen some videos of him like down in Mexico, like this is fascinating. We need to talk. What's that? If anybody knows, if anybody knows Lincoln Murphy, he needs to be our next guest. Basically. Oh, I know, I know him. I, I can reach out to him. It'd be a fun <laughs> conversation. <laughs> so, so anyway, I'm going I'm to stop because I feel like I'm derailing us on some stuff, but um, keep going. Well, you know, what are, what are some of the things that um, I'm trying to think how to phrase this? Okay. You, have, you worked at Box when um, Aaron Levy was 
young and in, a little bit inexperienced, right? Still, still young. Still young. <laughs> yeah, but he, but he was, right. he was very young, right? right. You, you work with young founders now. What is, what is it like from your perspective being kind of a elder statesman with experience? <laughs> yeah, we're roughly the same. We're roughly the same age, but you know. Is he I, older or younger than you, Scott? Because we seem to talk about this on every show. I think we need to talk about that. He's slightly, <laughs> slightly older than me. Oh, all right. Yeah, yeah. Um, but you know, there, it's interesting. Like that's one of the things, actually, as I've gotten older, that that I have enjoyed and relished a little, a right. little bit. There, sure, there's downsides sometimes. So to sure. working with people who are significantly younger than you, who are the founders and everything, but there's also a lot of positives. So right. what, I'm asking you because at a very successful organization like Box and Qualia has been very successful so far, and we both believe has a continued rocket ship type trajectory. What, what, is, what are some of the upsides and downsides that people might think about who are considering going to work at a, you know, relatively early stage company right. with, with young, you know, first time founders? I, I, I think it, you could provide some good insight. Right. So I, I'll, I guess I'll start a little bit with the, the, the negative that could, that could exist. If let's say you're, you, you're 20 year industry veteran and you've, you've seen it done a certain way. It's a bit of a culture shock, to be honest with you, or it can be a bit of a culture shock. You've got to be able to be nimble. You've got to understand this. You've got to come in with eyes wide open that this is going to be different than what it's been like for, for each day for the past 20 years or so. You, you've got to, um, you got to have a lot of patience. Um, but also, no, from a positive standpoint, um, you, you're, at that, you're likely hired at that company because you you're viewed as a very, very valuable resource, and you've got to own that. Um, and you've got to speak up, and you've got to say things that, um, and, and I mean, you, you, you've got to be willing to potentially disagree right? and speak your mind if you see something, right? Right. And, and because you, you, it's defensible, it's something you can back up and say, because I've done this before and this, this yeah. is the result. So that's a positive that, that that's taking ownership of your career and, and where you're headed and um, what you can contribute on a daily basis. So there's absolute good with bad, but by and large, I mean, if you have, let's put it this way, if you have young owners um, and you're successful, the ceiling is significantly higher, I believe, uh, in where you can head. Um, just by virtue of, um, I mean, they started a company young. They pretty they much, got, they got something going on. Time, energy, yes, big, big vision, big goals, big plans. Right. I, I, would, I would add to it, just, and this is independent of maybe somebody who's in a role at a company. I'm saying a company that is founded by young folks. As those companies continue to grow, there's a point where there, there needs to be some yeah. – some, some, you know, uh, industry experience brought on, I believe, to help guide some of the, the, the more treacherous waters as you go from, let's say, 20 to 50 to 100 to, you know, 200 million plus. So um, that would be another thing to think about. Yeah. Well, we're uh, starting to get near the end of our, end of our time here, Richard. Before, before you do that, Scott, I, I just want to know, uh, who, who can win the arm wrestling match between the two of you since you're sitting there? Oh. <laughs> we are both unbelievably weak. <laughs> <laughs> Not in the mind. Right? Well, if that was the answer I would have given. Right. <laughs> How about on the golf course? Wait, I, I, I do have a serious question, right? Because you guys have a friendship, um, and Scott and I do this, and, and, and I think it's important for others to do this. What do you guys call each other about when you're talking about business, Right. What do you guys lean on each other for, you know, business-wise? 
Because we know what, I know what you I'll, do friendship wise, right? I'll, I'll I'll go I'll go first and on on this one. Um, you know, Randy has more experience than than me, um, and so I think that I have come to him and, and said before, like, have you experienced this before? Have you seen this before? If so, how did you deal with it? You know, like, is this fucking normal? This <laughs> this kind of thing, um, and then just you know just a sounding board and, and even just like somebody to vent to, to be honest with you, you know, yeah. when you're, when you're the higher up you go, right. The lonelier it kind of gets and, and the, the, the smaller your, your peer group gets and, and the harder it is to, to find people to um, communicate with that, understand what you're going through. And, and it's like a safe place to be like, I'm really frustrated by this particular thing. And, and so, you know, it's, it, th those are the ways that I have gone, you know, to Randy and utilized um, Randy and, you know, he's, he's been, been a very good, he's very good at listening and, and helping problem solve and, and bouncing ideas off. How about you, Randy? What, what kind of things would you go to Scott for when he was running the sales org and you were on the CS side? Other, other than complaining to me about my sales team doing something wrong. Yeah, or the lineup for the game later that night. Anyway. <laughs> Uh, That's true. Scott's got a, a very um, a tremendous and amazing ability to distill a seemingly complex situation down to some very easily understood items, right? Whether that, and that's true in, in baseball, in talking to kids, um, or it is at work. So that, that I, I, you know, recall a time um, recently of trying to understand some of the some of the KPIs really and, and things that I wanted to measure above and beyond the obvious. And I was overcomplicating it and, and, and went to Scott and, and started talking about it. And I think it was like 30 seconds in. He was like, well, how about this, 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 and this? I was like, Jesus, man. So he's got that, he's got that, that really amazing ability to um, take a pretty complex seeming. Do, do you remember what you were overcomplicating? Cause I think. I don't, <laughs> I, I don't either, but, but I remember, I remember the incident the moment that he was talking about. So how much, how much do you think because you guys would communicate that way and, you know, that really helped your sales, your two teams get along better? Oh, I, my personal take is that it, it brought the departments significantly closer together. Right. And that's where I was going. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you, you, you've got people who know each other, love each other, respect each other, like in those two roles. And it's like, you know, he could also come to me and be like, dude, you're screwing this up or your people screwed this up, like go fix it. Right. And so that level of trust is, is huge. And so I, I think, I think it was really, really, you know, important. Yeah. No, no. Yeah. That's yeah. great. Great. Kumbaya. Kumbaya. Yeah. So, you know, um, come to the time of the show where, you know, we try to see what we can do to help you. And, uh, right. if there's any advice that, that we can maybe give you or, or, or new problems or challenges that you're trying to solve. You, know, you, you and I talk all the time and whatnot. And this is the first time that you and Richard have you know, met and, and, and spoken. So right. maybe yeah. knowing what you know about Richard and, and what he does right. um, and some of the things he's passionate about, maybe there's, yeah. you can point the question towards him so I can be off the hook. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, so quality is specifically, it's in an interesting stage, uh, high growth, you know, wanting to you know, essentially double um, the revenue. Um, so a few different things here, one of which is um, communicating that in the proper way to the team that they buy into it. And so I'm not asking how to do that, 
but I'm just outlining some of the challenges that exist there is, is getting them in the right frame of mind. And then once, once the quarter is going to start, right, there's going to be some ups and downs and there's going to be some ups and downs that weren't experienced this past year because we were, we were kicking butt and, and we will continue to kick butt, but I, I'm going to foresee some, some more peaks and valleys that didn't exist last year. So I want to, I want everyone to just, Stay in the you know stay in the right frame of mind. I want them to, to not lose confidence. Um, and my, so my question, Richard, is knowing that we've got some high growth targets, right? We're 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 changing uh, probably the the environment a little bit in terms of ups and downs, and how to maintain um, uh, you know even keel amongst the, the uh, some very different personalities on the team, and to, right. to keep them focused and, and and going in the right direction. So um, I think you almost should go back and when this recording is released, play this snippet for your team and say, Hey guys, this is something I'm trying to solve. What ideas do you guys have? Right? Because yeah. sometimes they can help solve that problem for you because, because part of you, you even said like, and, and you want everybody to say, Hey, I'm, I'm working towards this for your, for all of you. I know some of you are motivated differently. So I want you to hear that I'm passionate about solving this for you. So I need you to help me understand what motivates you. Well, the team's getting big, right? You know, I'm losing, you know, how big, how many people directly report to you? Well, on the, on the revenue side, there's, there's four. It'll be, that's growing as well. There's another segment of, of a group that I manage. It's not the revenue side. So I'm specifically talking about the revenue side. Yeah. So I think that's one thing to do. I think the other thing to do is to, is to get outside your box of conversations, right? Don't have pipeline, you know, one-on-ones are not pipelines meetings, right? Your one-on-one is a personal growth thing. I think one of the things that you can do is, is ask everybody and it's, and it's timely right now is to say, Hey, what are your goals outside of work in 2020? And based on those goals, how can we help you achieve them? Maybe they want to go on vacation. They want to save a certain amount of money. What are those things? Because that's what you're going to have to sort of gravitate them back to in the negative times and say, Hey man, I know it's tough, but I know this is what you care about and we got to get through this. So that's from sort of the inspiration motivation side of things. Right. Um, but I also think asking them what, what would help them would be good. Um, I think also in those moments, you kind of got to acknowledge it, that, that things, um, Oh guys, we're at one of those peaks and valleys, you know, feels like we're at a valley all right, what do we do? Let's go do something and have a couple of things already planned so that nothing, you know, and I'm talking everything from like surprise them with, you know, pizza at four o'clock on a Friday. Don't tell them you're doing it. Just do it. Just bring the beer in. Right. Just say, everybody, we're leaving it at whatever, you know, this third. And I know you got, you might have parents and you got to work around traffic and Austin and all that stuff, but have some things already built in, you know, every four to six weeks so that there's a couple of socialization things because I'd be willing to bet some of y'all's best conversations. Because I asked that question before this was, I'd be willing to bet some of that those best conversations are happening when you guys are on the field coaching your team a little bit, right? They're in the middle of the game. You're taking a break. You're sort of figuring out a way to do it socially, um, and and you need to provide that with them. Um, and you need to sort of facilitate those conversations when you do go to Top Golf or whatever. It can't just be let's go to Top Golf and get drunk. You know, it's it's got to be hey, we're going to go to Top Golf, and while we're talking, while we're there today, we're going to talk about this, 
And I think that's a really interesting way to combine both things. And yes, you can still have the cocktails. So that, that's how I would probably do it. Scott may have a different approach. Oh, I, I think it's a really good point that, that you made and suggestion to bring it up with the team and surface their suggestions. I, you know, I used to do that all the time when I didn't have an answer. Yes. <laughs> right. I didn't, I didn't have an answer yet. Right. And, you know, I would just go to the team and they would provide five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten suggestions. And even if their suggestion wasn't one that I ended up implementing, it kickstarted my brain. Yep. Right. It's almost like they got me 75% of the way there. Yeah. And then I can, I have my own ideas or I incorporate <laughs> some players. I think that's good. And I, I also think but the flip side of that too, is that it also shows that, Hey, you're not dictating from the top down. Right. You're not managing yeah. from the top down. Totally. And it, it builds in that leadership. It builds in the culture that you're trying to build. Like those are very specific things you can do to facilitate that culture. I, I, I think it would be a good idea too, to just call out the likely pitfalls. Right. right? Yeah. So you might consider saying like, look, first of all, it's far harder to go from a hundred to 200 than it is to go from one to two. Right. And so, Here's, here's how the year might look. We might start off like this. This might happen. We might do this. Right. We might run into that, right? And, and, and you just kind of give people opportunity to maybe know what to expect. I would, I would even go so far as, what if you said to them, hey, here are the pitfalls I think we might run into this year, and I want to build a plan around how we're going to manage them. What pitfalls am I missing? Like get, because now you're getting them to think like managers and leaders and – those kinds of things, right? It's the, it's the same thing I said earlier, but let them tell you what they think is going to be a problem because maybe they do know something you don't know. Yeah. Good suggestion. No, that's, that's, that's great stuff. I appreciate it. Awesome. Well, it's been fun having you here, Randy. Richard, sorry you're not here. Randy and I are going to uh, go grab yeah, a drink. Go, <laughs> go, go out to dinner. Go grab the families. I, I've seen you lean off to the side of the screen. You're either writing and taking notes or you're pouring another cocktail. <laughs> I'd be willing to bet it's the cocktail. Based on that smile, I know there's a bottle sitting over there. No, 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 my friend. No. Uh, so. uh, that's, a that's a cocktail. What is that? This is water. This is a shameless plug for Waterloo, by the way. Oh, I thought it, I thought it was a White Claw. I, I mean, you use it as a mixer. Claw, so you know me that all I drink is water and tequila. Okay. <laughs> Awesome. Randy, it was a pleasure to, to finally meet you after hearing about you and, and it's been a really fun conversation and, and thanks for taking us in a, in a world that we don't necessarily, and we don't swim in that pond as much. So. Yeah, no, it's my pleasure. I appreciate it. Thanks guys. All right, bud.